Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. For all the first-time listeners, I'm your host, Bryce Simon, former D1 Hooper, teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing children, and contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. You can find all of my Pistons articles and video breakdowns, including some new content breaking down Sadiq Bay, the Pistons team defense, and a look at the transition offense on Detroit Bad Boys, along with all the other amazing content creators. And today, I'm joined by a guest that puts out the best Pistons articles and content you can find pistons beat writer for the detroit news joining me for the second time rod beard rod welcome back and thank you for joining me no no thanks for having me back on i appreciate it absolutely on today's episode we'll continue discussing and analyzing what this team has looked like through the first nine games and the storyline surrounding them we'll not talk about any specific games if you're interested in those please look out for my post-game instant recap and reaction episodes i'll be doing a lot of those coming up Today we're talking Pistons storylines, taking a deep look at the offensive issues, the vibe in the locker room and around the organization, Kate and Killian backcourt, and some Motor City crews, and I'm going to get a chance to talk to Rod about his son Jonathan and his baseball career. But let's start off with the hottest topic in the Pistons community, the Pistons offense. Rod, right to you with this one. What is the one biggest thing you feel like is the issue with this offense so far this season? I think it's just shots and just hitting shots and, and seeing them fall. It's been so hard for them to have two games where you, you see threes that go down and you just need that. I mean, if you're playing pickup ball or if, if you're doing anything, you just want to see a few shots fall and, and have that defense pay off for you. And you can see where that seeps through, where the, the not the shots not falling seeps into their, their lack of effort on defense and their focus on defense. And you just feel like nothing's going right for you. And it feels like if they have a couple of good games where they can make some shots, they play good defense, then those will turn into wins and that confidence will start to build. Yeah, I agree. I've talked about that before. I just feel like like if you've ever played the game, and it's not even just basketball. I mean, it's any game when you can't score, and but in basketball specifically, if you're not scoring the basketball, if shots aren't going down, it does. It just sucks the life out of you, and I think that's why sometimes we see the defense look really good, and then at other times not so good because it's just hard to keep that energy up. Um, whenever you're not making shots, do you think the shot like is it literally just? you know, the beginning of the year and this is the time where we're going through, the, the team is going through a bad stretch shooting the ball? Like, or do you think it is the chemistry issue with different lineups or the youth of the team? Like, do you think any of those things are major factors or is this just really one of those anomalies where like they're just shooting the worst they possibly can the first start, first nine games of the season? Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those anomaly things. And, and Dwayne Casey has talked about it and, and people have looked up, hey, they, they're one of the top teams in terms of finding the right shots, the open looks that they're supposed to get the way their offense works they get those it's just those shots do not fall and, and you it, early in the season it's just been more of you, you get that shot you miss that shot you get a better shot and you miss that shot too and it's not one person or, or a couple of people who are doing that and you, you say oh, okay well they're, they're going to get it together and it's going to it's going to happen I mean it's Frank Jackson it's Josh Jackson missing shots it's Cade missing um, some easy looks for that you've seen him make in summer league that you feel like hey that that's a, a, a cage shot that's what you, you set the offense for is to give him that sort of shot and it just doesn't go down we've seen Sadiq Bey make these shots all last year and they're just not falling at the same clip at this year so it's not a, 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 a this guy's in a cold slump it's every Everybody's in a cold slot. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, Kelly or Cade Cunningham, and I think Kelly Olynyk too. And you know, I, they hit some shots in the last game where I'm like, okay, sometimes these are the shots you need to make to like break it open, right? Like Kelly hit that shot at the end of the first quarter. Cade hit the shot, I believe, is in the third quarter as the you know his first three um, in his career. And I was just like, okay, maybe those are the ones that get this team going. And it, it just still didn't happen. But I want to talk about getting the right shots because we've seen the stats. I've gone deeper into the stats and all that, but I just want to talk about 
what I, what you see watching the games. You get to watch the games there and in person. I feel like they're getting good shots. I feel like they're getting open shots. For the most part, they're in rhythm shots. And I want to transition this into just the offense in general because that all of a sudden became becomes the topic of conversation. Do you feel like they're getting those shots? Like you kind of alluded to it there, like, do you feel like they're getting open shots, good looks within the offense in rhythm? Because I do, for the most part, I would like to know, you know, be interested to see what you think about that. Yeah, it, it's it's you you can see it, and, and we've watched enough in, at the end of practice where the ball's supposed to rotate and it, it, the drive kick swing sort of thing, and there's Frank Jackson in a corner. You know, that's Frank Jackson's shot. It just doesn't fall. We've seen it in summer league, uh, like I said, with Kate Cunningham, where. He gets that good look from either he's creating something off the dribble uh, and the ball comes back to him, or Sadiq Bey or somebody else, uh, that, or Hamadou Diallo even. The shot is there, and it, it shouldn't matter who that person is that's taking that shot. It's the right shot in their offense and what they should be taking, but then you get that open look, and it just doesn't fall. And that's the, the, the frustrating part about it is that um, it's not a rush shot. It's not an end of the shot clock shot. It's not something that they're just heaving up from the logo to try to get something to fall. The offense is fine. I think the issue is just you need more of those shots to fall, and the defense is going to have to respect that and react to that because they can't pack it in, and they're going to um, threaten you to take that. They're going to dare you to take that long three that should be open. That's the focus of this offense. And when it starts falling, the whole game and everything else just starts to look different. So, and I think I know how you're going to answer this question, Rod, but I definitely want to ask because like I just alluded to a second ago, you know, fans are starting to talk about it and I would side with where I think you're going to side. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to me, I don't know that Dwayne Casey needs to change a lot. Like there's a few little tweaks I would personally like to like to see, but no major philosophical changes to the offense or anything huge. Like maybe a ball screen here, maybe a little faster in transition there. But do you think there's anything that could be done a little bit different to help this? Because if I'm Dwayne Casey, I'm sitting there having this same conversation with my assistant coaches or whoever I talk to in meetings saying, guys, we're watching the film. We're getting the shots. And I have players, we have players that are going to eventually make these shots. So, again, is that is that what you think? Or do you think there could be some small changes or maybe have the coaches or Dwayne Casey alluded to maybe some small little minor adjustments they could make to help the team get out of this shooting slump? No, I think for the most part, they're just going to stay the course with what they're doing because, again, they're getting the right shots, the way their offense is set up and, and what they want to get. Everything is there. All the shots are there. You see the corner threes. You see the open looks. You see the, the kind of rotation off the ball. And, and guys move and do what they're supposed to do. It's just when you get that look, that shot just doesn't fall. And I think for me, I, I would kind of veer a little bit more toward more pick and roll and let's create some, some other opportunities when we know the shots aren't falling. And you, you kind of wish on, have a wish and a prayer and a wing and a prayer and say, hey, eventually these threes are going to drop. Well, maybe we shouldn't take as many threes. Maybe we run a little bit more pick and roll with, with Cade or maybe a little bit more with Killian to get them comfortable in what they're doing. And the defense has to pick and choose. And, and, and with any offense that you run, the defense is going to give you something and take away something. If you run a little bit more pick and roll, you're dealing with more twos. But it's, it's something just to jumpstart your offense when you're shooting 30, 35% from the field. You've got to do something. And, and maybe giving yourself a, a few more looks in the pick and roll is something they can think about. But again, I mean, I'm not a coach. I'm not going to claim to be a coach that I know more than they do. But they want to really stay the course with what they're doing because they think those shots are going to fall. And, and that makes complete sense to me, too. Yeah, absolutely. You respect that. You know, you want a coach and a staff that, you know, believes in what their philosophy is and, you know, they see the course and they're going to stay with the course, even whenever it's not going exactly the way they planned. And I do, I agree. I, I would like, to, I think a lot of fans, that's the sticking point is the ball screen stuff. And I think we'll continue to see more as these guys grow and get older. But what about the transition? I promise we'll get off the offense in just a second. Rod, I know we've been on it for just a, for, for quite a while here to start um, and we'll get to something else, I promise. But um, what about in transition? I feel like over the last few games, we've seen a little bit more of an emphasis pushing the ball, even after makes. Like I call it like secondary transition, like just getting into something right away so we don't end up in isolations. Is that something you see or is that something you hear the team talk about or see at practice um, that they would maybe emphasize more or will continue to see more of? Yeah, I think they, they absolutely want to get on a transition more and they've been trying to get uh, guys to rebound and just go and just start putting pressure on the defense to get back 
and to be in position a little bit sooner where those are where some of your easy points are going to come from, especially if your offense is struggling. You want to do more of that. And if you're, you're getting out, you're going fast, you're creating opportunities in transition. Sometimes you're getting to the free throw line a little bit more. And if you have a struggling offense, that's the next best thing is, hey, maybe we're not making threes, but we're getting to the free throw line a little bit more. We're get, catching the defense out of position. So we're scoring in an easier way. If, if those threes aren't falling, then we've got to get some points on the board some kind of way. And that, that felt like the first like six or seven games. Like, Just get in transition and you'll help yourself out a lot more. Maybe you create some open three looks in that transition. But also, I mean, just something. Get to the free throw line, something, so that you can get some points up. With all this talk about the offense and the struggles, I have to ask you about just the locker room. And I, I don't believe, I don't know if you guys are actually allowed in the locker room or you, if you have access, but just the team in general. I say the locker room, but just the team in general. Post-practice, whenever you're getting to interview, when you have access to the guys, what is kind of the vibe around the team right now? You know, one and eight, it's been a very tough start just in terms of competition. You know, team chemistry has been hard because Cade was, you know, out and now he's back. Jeremy missed a game. Killian missed a game. What is just the mood of the team and the vibe around the team or even the coaches and this the organization in general right now yeah this is the part that I've been kind of surprised most about is that it's just been hey this is this is going to turn around and they they understand the shots just aren't there and again it's not something you point to one guy and say hey um, Jeremy's had some horrible games or Frank's had some horrible games it's been none of that I mean it's just been uh, we understand these shots are going to fall. We see these shots go down in practice, but for whatever reason, it's not translating in games. So there's this quiet confidence that, hey, when it turns around, it will turn around. We play some of these teams really tough. They had a, a really good game against Brooklyn after uh, the previous Sunday uh, on Halloween, really just struggling with that same thing. So I think they understand that things are going to turn, but they have confidence in each other because they know they're a better team than what they put on paper and, and on the stat sheet so far in these first nine games. What about actual games? And again, I've, I've actually just booked uh, my, starting to book my trip out to Detroit for March. Hopefully I, we're going to try to make it out for a game, but you've got to see these games in person. You know, it's hard to tell through the TV sometimes. I think it's easy to sit in, you know, sit on my couch and be like, oh, they don't look like they're playing with energy. But like, I think that stuff's overblown sometimes. You, have you seen the same energy from this team, um, at least to start games? And then you kind of talked about that energy can start to be, to get lost when you're not making shots. So is that very noticeable throughout the games? Like the beginning of the game, the energy's there, they're looking like they're ready to go. And then you can slowly see the wind come out of their cells as these shots continue to miss. Like, does it seem like the same vibe during the game, at least to start, like what we saw last year, which I felt like the team usually had great energy? Yeah, I think the energy is there. It's just somewhere in that third quarter or or second quarter when you have that lull and you're down by six, you miss a few shots, the other team goes on this, I don't know, 10-2, 8-2 run, something like that, and you just feel like, well, it's just like anybody who plays pickup ball or plays 21, you've played good defense, you get a rebound, you come down and your shot's not falling, well, what do you have to do? You have to play defense again to really get the ball back. And it's like, okay, I played all this good defense. I've done everything I needed to do. I got the shot that I wanted. It just doesn't fall. Even for a novice player, that's one of the most frustrating things about basketball is some days you have your defense, but your offense just doesn't match with that. And you're just not going to win that way. So we haven't seen them hanging heads or pointing fingers or or feeling like anything is, is different with that. It's just... They understand that you've got to play a certain type of way to be able to win in this league, and they haven't done it for most of these nine games. We, we've seen it a little bit more in the Orlando game, but a lot of those games, you're just not going to play. And, and again, this is something we haven't talked about. The level of competition that they play, play it, it's the hardest schedule in the first part of the season for in the NBA. You've seen, had Brooklyn twice. You've had the Sixers twice. You've had uh, Milwaukee. The Bulls um, twice. The Bulls twice. So all of these are playoff type teams, and I think I did it at whatever point in the, in the the record, the opponent's record was something like sixty plus percent uh, that they played so far in the first eight games or nine games. That it, nobody's going to have an easy time with that sort of schedule, but especially if your shots aren't falling and you've got a young team that's learning how to win and learning how to play together. Oh, and by the way, hasn't had Kate Cunningham on a consistent <laughs> basis either. And, and now you want to put the ball in his hands. They've had so many things that they've had to overcome. And this isn't an excuse thing. That's just, it, it, it's any team. Any team, if you you take their number one pick and, and say Evan Mobley had only been playing 
in and out. Was Cleveland going to have the start that they have? Probably not. They just, it, it's a big piece of what they're trying to do. Yeah, I agree. And that's what I think at one point, I don't know, it was like five of the first six games they had a different starting lineup or something like that, Rod. You know, they started with Frank Jackson in there. Then they moved Josh Jackson and then Cade came back and then Jeremy had to miss a game. And, you know, now, now Killian, ha- like through the first nine games, it can't be that very, I mean, it has to be six or so, something like that, different starting lineups. And then, like you said, a great point, just the level of competition, even at full strength, if Cade had played all um you know camp and preseason and been fully healthy it was still going to be um a struggle against the the schedule the NBA gave the Pistons to start the season it's nice to get this little four-day um break before you know playing the Rockets on Wednesday but I want to talk about some specific players and I you know guys we're going to talk about Cade Cunningham very specifically in just a second I promise I know he's the one everybody wants to talk about but wanted to give some love to some other topics and players so I want to give Trey Lyles, a guy that doesn't get as much attention, or honestly, like if you follow on Twitter, sometimes it's negative. Not a guy that a lot of Pistons fans were super excited about. I'll be honest, Rod, I wasn't sure that it, and I still don't know that it necessarily moved the needle, but um, I, I kind of overlooked probably Trey Lyles. I thought he's been solid so far, in my opinion, probably better than I thought with low expectations on my end. What have you thought is, uh, about Trey Lyles, and what do you feel like the, the organization has seen from him that they've liked? That, that's something that I noted, and I think I tweeted a few games ago, like, Trey Lyles has been really solid. You don't expect a lot from him. And and let's say we're just doing this player for player. His production versus what what uh, Sekou Dumbuya's production would have been. Lyles has a solid eight points and four boards a game, and he's shooting a little bit over 30% from three. Sekou wouldn't have done that. Very likely, probably wouldn't have done that. But Lyles has done it, and and just the rebounding he provides and the steadiness he provides with that second group, it's so far under the radar. And people just hit me with the, what game are you watching? Trey Lyles is so garbage. He's about, I'm like, well, what what do you want? He's, he's, he's playing behind Jeremy. He's not getting a ton of minutes, but he's just solid for what you wanted him to be in, in the amount you signed him for. He's not going to come out and, and score 20 points for you, but eight and four from, from that position, from a guy who, I mean, it, it, I, I won't say he's he's been a, an afterthought, but he wasn't one of the main guys for that second group. Everybody thought that uh, Kelly Olenek and, and what role um, Frank Jackson or Josh Jackson would play. That's the guy that Trey is the guy that was sort of you don't think about as much. But he's been very, very silent in what he's done, it, at least for my expectations. That what, that's what it was. Yeah, I agree. And maybe that maybe it's because of expectations. I, I don't want to say I had low expectations, but I was one of those guys that didn't have him. I guess if I put out my two deep depth chart before the season, I didn't have him penciled in there. I thought we would go, I guess, quote unquote, small ball with Frank, JJ and Hami. Find a way to get all those guys on the floor with the second unit, which brings me to the next guy, Hamadou Diallo. And Rod, I... In my almost 12 months, you know, doing this podcast and, and following the Pistons as close as I have, I haven't been right about very much. And this was another thing I don't look like, does not look like I was right about. You know, I was super high on Hami after last year and had super high expectations. And right now he's out of the rotation. And I, this isn't like, oh, Dwayne Casey's making the wrong decision or anything like that. I don't know that he's his play has warranted it. What What is the story with Hami right now? I assume eventually he'll get his chance again, but... You know, did you have higher expectations for him than what we've seen so far? And if so, why why has he not lived up to them? I guess um, here early in the season. Well, I, I was surprised too that that he's played the way that he's played. But in those first couple of games, when Cade was out, they tried every combination they could. They started Frank, they started Josh, they started Hami, and in a, in a starting lineup. And part of why they haven't played well, you need your shooting guards to be able to shoot and to score. Hami hasn't really gotten to the free throw line. He hasn't shot well from three at all this year. And he really tries to find tough twos. If he's not in transition, he's not as valuable to you as a wing because the shooting isn't there and he just doesn't fit in their offense the same way as as maybe a Josh does and a uh, Frank Jackson does. When Frank's hitting those threes, he's, he's very, very valuable. But Hami needs a lot of things to go right in order to be a, a critical piece to the, the offense there in that second group. And he's just had a really tough time. Josh has played well, and Frank is a better shooter, so they've tried to give him more time. So Hami's sort of the odd man out is, is kind of where do we find minutes for him because they're trying to have a rotation of 9 or 10, and with a guy who's not shooting well from 3 and really not creating his own offense, 
you, you're, it's going to be tougher for you to find minutes. Yeah, and I, I've been really impressed with Josh Jackson. There, there's the good and the bad of Josh Jackson. I think you... I almost appreciate it at this point because you know exactly what you're going to get from Josh Jackson every game. You know you might get a four shot here and there. You may get a turnover. There there might be an off-ball lapse, but you're going to get a lot of good as well. I think he's played really well, and I hope Frank, you know, he's the shots started to come around, and hopefully we're going to see the Frank we saw the last 20 games or so last season. One more specific player before we get to Cade and Killian, and that's Corey Joseph. You know, what have you thought about the vet point guard off the bench? Um, again, a guy that I don't know that I would have penciled in, a guy that a lot of people don't love. He's getting minutes. They want to see Saban Lee. We'll talk about Saban Lee in the G League here a little bit later. But I do feel like Kojo has struggled just a little bit early in the season, but he had a really good game against the Nets. That's what I was hoping to see every game from him. Um, What have you thought about Kojo through nine games so far? I think he's been really up and down, and he struggled early in the first two games against the Bulls. He, I mean, he, he doesn't rely on speed. He's got to be a crafty veteran guy that sets things up for you. And where I think he's excelled is, is in his assists, where he's been able to find other guys and set up that with that second group, uh, who's been a more veteran group. But the, he's had some games where he's just not he's – he's disappeared. He just hasn't been there. But when he does have those good stat games, they're really good stat games. They're, they're five assists, 10 points, 12 points. Um, so you just need more of those and that to be more consistent. But they really like him and being that leader of that second group and being able to anchor that second group. And, again, that's that that's where he's going to have to make his bread and butter. But Saban Lee, and we'll get to that at some point – He's knocking on that door too, where he's going to need some playing time because he's playing really well right now. Yeah, that's and again, we will talk about that here in just in five or ten minutes after we talk some Cade and Killian. One final question before we get to Cade, kind of putting you on the spot just a little bit. Who do you think is going to make the biggest jump in their production from where they're at right now to say the All Star break? You know, so and there's a there's a lot of guys right now that that's possible for because everybody on this team is is shooting below probably what we all think they're going to at a certain point. But if you had to pinpoint one guy who you really think is going to take a jump, and just in terms of sheer production from now until game fifty or whatever it is when the All Star break hits, who who would you put your money on if you were a betting man, Rod? I'll take the easy out, and I'll say Cade is just going to figure it out. Um, that the, his shots are going to start falling. He's not going to shoot. Uh, he's not going to have these two of eleven games every night. That he's going to start figuring out where the rest of the offense goes, how he fits into it. He'll he'll get his his good focus and his good look on his shots, and those will fall for him. I think that's just too easy. He's just not going to be the type of player we've seen in his first, what, three, four games that that's going to continue through game 50. I think he just figures out what he's going to be, and he starts to see some of those shots fall too. Yeah, I agree. And this, you, you made the transition really easy. So let's just stay with Cade. Before we talk about the, the shots and some of the what we've seen from him on the floor in terms of his own game and production, I want to ask you about his impact on his teammates because I think his intangibles is one of the things I'm most excited about Cade. I got to see him at Summer League and you just watch his interactions with his teammates and the, even the fans. And I, I know as a fan, I'm just super excited. So I want everything to be positive. But I really just look and like, this is a guy that gets it, you know, even to the quotes about the city of Detroit and the organization and everything. Do you notice, are you able to real or recognize an impact he has on his teammates from when he's not on the floor to when he is, from games he didn't play to the games he is playing? And maybe they're just confidence or comfortability when he's a part of the rotation and on the floor. I think there is. And, and we, we heard it a little bit when they had him mic'd up in summer league that he just knows what to say at the right time. And that goes for games that he's playing in and stuff on the court to his his media sort of interactions too, that he know he gets it. It's like you're talking to an old soul, an old 30-year-old guy who's been grizzled in the league for, for 10 or 15 years or whatever. He, he gets it. He just understands what his role is. And he's more the vocal leader. And I, I, I kind of wrote about this in the summer that – you're playing on a team that has a Jeremy Grant who's not a super outspoken guy. Killian Hayes isn't. Sadiq Bey isn't. And Isaiah Stewart is, is sort of becoming that. But there's nobody who's their outspoken, pound-your-chest leader and just says, hey, we're going to go win this game. Those guys are doers. They're not by um, vocal. They're, they're by example of just, you know what, I'm just going to go out and do it. Isaiah Stewart's just going to go get a block or go get a rebound. Sadiq's just going to hit the big shot for you, but he's not going to talk about it. Cade is the one who gives you a lot of confidence because he makes you feel like 
everything comes together. He's the glue guy that, hey, we're going to get a bucket right here. We're going to get a stop right here. And you feel so much more confident when he's on the court. And guys have said very similar things. The, the tough part for him has been not playing in the preseason. So it's really hard to say, all right, guys, we got this when you're not in those reps, when you're not uh, sweating and bleeding and taking charges and doing everything that those guys are doing in training camp and through the preseason and, and now through the first part of the, the, the regular season, if you're just on the sideline, it's harder to have that agency and harder, harder to have that um, accountability when you're not in those reps with them, when they're sweating, they're tired, they're thirsty, they're doing whatever, and you've been on the side getting toweled off and, and getting a massage or getting whatever as you try to work your way back. You've got to have that buy-in and, and that skin in the game just like they do, and I think they're starting to get to that point with him. Yeah, I mean, talking about the, the him being vocal on the floor, one, there was a fast break, and I don't know if it was the Nets game or the Sixers game, but where he wanted Sadiq Bey to give it up because Sadiq, Sadiq was on the wing and Cade was in the middle, and you just saw him talking to him after the play, and it's just it's little things like that even where I'm just like, he's willing to go and say, hey, like this is what needs to happen, and just as a rookie in his third game, and like you say, I hadn't really thought about that where he hadn't had as much skin in the game being out there because being around teams even at the level I have been, you know, I think that does play into it whenever you're not out there running the line drill or taking the charges or whatever like you yeah. all the things you yeah. mentioned it does factor it's hard to be that vocal leader from the sideline you know and it's no fault of Cades but it just it's the fact of the matter um I want to talk about on the floor and, and you brought up the missing shots and I think everybody you know if you don't think he's eventually going to get there then I don't know what to tell you I I, I fully believe the shots are going to come around plenty of people have said you know coming off an ankle injury that that's a huge impact on that you know, probably some nerves and feeling some pressure now. But I want to talk about something that surprised me, and I'm interested to see if you've seen the thing. It's his ability to create his own shot, Rod. Like, he made a move on Matisse Thibault that left Matisse, who's a big-time NBA defender, and just completely left him, and then he finished around Joel Embiid. And his wiggle and his ability to create separation for jump shots or attacking the basket, whatever it is, has been very, very impressive. Have you noticed that? Have you been impressed by it? Maybe you already knew that about him. Um, but what have you thought about that aspect of his game? Yeah, we, we saw it in Summer League. And, and you almost take it with a grain of salt and say, well, this is Summer League. What is he going to do when he's got um, KD switched on him, when he's got... Uh, like a Matisse Thibault is a perfect example of a guy who's just a really good, solid defender and is going to get up into you. And how do you how do you create space there? And he does it the same way. And you feel like, well, well yeah, this when he gets it together and he gets his timing and everything down, then this is going to be fun to watch. And again, for, for the lifetime basketball people who play at Lifetime Fitness or wherever, don't play for a month. <laughs> and then come out and, 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 and try to play at lifetime. Just pick up ball. Your jumper's not going to be right. Your timing's going to be off. Your body just feels like, well, I got to get these basketball moves down again. And I think that's where Cade is on a much higher level. It's just you, your brain knows what you want to do, but you can't, if you don't have that rhythm and that routine of doing it, then and those reps of doing it, then it's the shot's just not going to be there. But again, as we said earlier, get, get fast forward to game 30, game 40, game 50. I think this is just going to look a lot different. And we've seen so much evidence to suggest that it will, that it's, it's just an easy belief to have. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Because I th feel like I haven't like been arguing or debating with people. I'm like, the ankle injury matters. The ankle, like, the way you put it makes more sense. It's not necessarily about the ankle injury. It's the fact that ankle injury kept him off the court, off live basketball, off live shooting drills for a month. You know, it's the same thing with Isaiah Stewart. Like, I have to remind myself this with Isaiah Stewart whenever I kind of wonder where the progression in Isaiah Stewart's offensive game has been from last year, that Isaiah Stewart missed, I don't know, Rod, correct, you know, a month with that angle, ankle yeah. probably. A little bit so, more than that. I think it might have even been two. Yeah, so like, you know, I, I have to remind myself of that, that, yeah, he can come back and, and play with the same energy and rebound in the defense, but the timing of the passes, the jump shot, all those things, just like where we're giving Cade, I don't want to say a pass, but being understanding, I need to do the same thing with Isaiah Stewart, and I think fans do as well, because he missed just as much, if not more time, as you outlined, when you're really trying to work on your game. So I think we do need to remember that. 
Um, I want to move on to Killian Hayes and a quote that, that Coach Casey had about Killian um, being more of a two and better playing off the ball. This kind of surprised me. I think the direct quote, and, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, is he's more of a two, spaced out, not handling the ball, and the ball is finding him. That's it, and I'm really happy for him to see the ball go through the basket. And I think that was speaking specifically on his improved shooting, which I think he has done a really good job, looked really good in catch-and-shoot situations. Has this surprised you? I don't know if I want to call it develop, a development, but the idea of Killian playing the two a lot more than what I thought anyway. Yeah, and, and I think they've spoken to this, and Dwayne has specifically said they're kind of 1A and 1B um, in terms of being point guards, is that both of them are going to play at certain uh, parts of the game. Uh, and we were expected to see a lot more of Cade without Killian and being able to handle and facilitate. But even when they're together, that you'll see Kate handling the ball a little bit more. Again, once he gets his timing right and his footing right of, of what he's doing, but we saw a little little pieces of this last year when Kate played with Saban Lee, that Kate played a little, or not Kate, I'm sorry, with Killian played with Saban Lee, that Killian played a little bit better when he had the ball out of his hands, when somebody else was setting up the offense and when he, he shot better when he had his feet set. But it's harder to do that when you're on the ball that you're creating these shots and you're just pulling up. That's not Killian's game. And I think people have the wrong impression of what type of player Killian is. Uh, I, I sort of thought, thought about this and said, hey, you know what? If you get 10 points and six assists and, and, and Killian can average that for the season, that's actually pretty good for him. That you can't have these outlandish expectations that he's going to score 15 or 20 and, and, and 7 or 8 assists. That means he's doing a little bit more than he needs to, especially given the roster and the people around him. Because every shot that Killian is taking is one that Sadiq isn't taking or one that uh, Jeremy or, or, or Cade isn't taking. Or if he's running that and, and he's running the pick and roll with Isaiah Stewart, maybe they're creating more opportunities that way. But you don't look for 15 points for him. You look for a solid 10 and maybe six or seven assists. And that's when you know that that's the meter and the metric that you want for Killian Hayes. And, and, and so I think people have to change their, their expectation and their rubric for how you're judging his success. Is It's not going to be a ton of points. It's going to be solid defense, facilitating for others, and being able to uh, create easier opportunities, I think. And he's a great defender. Like, I, I don't know what you think, but I feel like he's playing really well on the defensive end. I think he can cause some havoc and, and be a disruptor, and I really like him on the defensive end. So I want to stay with that because I, I can hear the listeners or, you know, the Twitter right now going, yeah, but Rod, he was the number seven pick. Like, he needs to be more than that. And, and my personal opinion, and, and maybe we can just get into the philosophy of this in general, like, eventually you have to remove those labels. Like, yeah, a certain guy may be a bust as a number one pick, but that doesn't mean he, he's not still a good quality NBA player player and I don't know if it's too soon to remove the number seven label from Killian Hayes and what the expectations were and what we thought he was going to be but if eventually we have to do that as fans and just appreciate him for the player that he is and I just worry that some fans are going to struggle with that like do you think the production you're describing is still pretty good value as the number seven pick because I know that's going to be the argument Rod yeah I think it is because when you've seen Killian at his best, it's when he's making these amazing cross-court passes, skip passes with two hands that are right on the money to the, the weak side. And that's what he is. I, I think Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey looked at him in the draft and said, if they would have said, hey, we, knowing in the crystal ball that we're going to get an opportunity for Kate Cunningham next year, would they have made the same pick? Maybe, maybe not. But at the time, that's what they needed was a, a facilitating pick and roll heavy point guard to try to get things started. And hey, when Kate lands in your lap the next year, well, hey, you just build on that. And now you figure out a way to make both of those guys be able to work. Uh, and I don't think it takes away from either of their games. They can live together. They can coexist. It's just you can't have Killian scoring 15 or 20 points because that's taking away from other people unless he just gets into, into one of his grooves and the three starts falling a little bit more. But for the most part, you're going to see more 10.6 assist games than 15 points and, and four assists or something like that. I think that's the metric that people have to start looking at. 
And what you said right there, I think is the most important part is those two guys are going to coexist really well. And I think it speaks a lot to one, the maturity we've talked about with Cade and the leadership and the intangibles, but both of those guys, maturity, unselfishness, lack of egos and willing to play together. It seems like willing to play together and maybe even sacrifice a little bit of their game. Um, Completely changing gears now to the G League. We got our first G League game. And the first thing I want to ask Rod, and you can answer this very, very quickly if you need to, um, but I know like it, it was up in arms immediately, you know, every day on Twitter almost. It's, you know, uh, uh, Saban, Livers, Garza, even Chris Smith maybe going back between the Crews and the Pistons. So can you just let the listeners and the fans know why that happens where one day they're designated to the Crews and then the very next day they come back to the Pistons and why it seems like such a, a yo-yo with those guys between the two? Well, anytime the, uh, somebody on the Pistons roster, one of the standard contract guys, so that's going to be your save and your Garza and your Livers. Um, anytime those guys practice with the crews, they have to get assigned, if you want to say assigned down, but they have to be assigned to the crews. So they can't practice unless that happens. So I think I said it the second or third time it happens. Like, look, folks, calm down. This is going to happen every other day because they've made such a big deal about them getting time to practice with the crews, them uh, getting as many reps in as they can with the crews or getting games. So your your two-way guys, uh, Jamarco Pickett and Chris Smith, they can play up and practice with the Pistons unlimited amounts of times. They can only play in 50 games. So when they move back and forth, you don't see that quite as much. But people got alarmed and said, well, why is Saban Lee going down? Well, because he's practicing with the the crews. And that's not a big deal. That's not a problem um, that any of those guys are doing that. So, again, for for listeners, whenever you see they get um, assigned to the crews and then recalled the next day, all that means is that they practiced with the crews. And it's just a, a sort of administrative formality to let the league know and everybody else know that they were just going through that practice. And I do want to talk about the game. And first off, thank you for clarifying that because I initially I was like, what is going on? And then the more you see it, like, okay, this is just, I don't want to say formality, but like you say, an administrative thing. And so, but I did want to just, just to give a chance for you to explain that for everybody. And I appreciate that. And we'll talk about Saban Lee in just a second, but I want to just talk about having that G League affiliate in general. Has Dwayne Casey or Troy Weaver, anybody in the organization just spoke to how important it is compared to last year where they didn't have it, not just for these guys to get minutes and practices like you're talking about, but even for a situation like Cade Cunningham, where he was able to go practice with the crews while the Pistons were on the road. Um, and, and are there any other aspects of it that maybe we're missing? Just just how excited is the organization to have that G League affiliate? Oh, I mean, it's they're, they're head over heels about it because uh, for what it was with the Grand Rapids Drive, if you wanted that to happen, you had to go you wouldn't have seen quite as much of that back and forth because it's a two and a half hour drive to get to Grand Rapids. I mean, it's possible that a player could practice with the Pistons and then if the drive, if the, the crews had an afternoon practice later, they could practice with them too. So they could do the two practices in the same day. Or, and this was a very specific example, but it worked out really well. When Kate Cunningham, if he would have gone on that road trip and that was the um, Chicago, Atlanta, and Philly road trip. If he had gone on that, I think they had one or two practices during that road trip. The fact that he stayed home with the crews meant that he could practice with them every day. And so their season hadn't started, um, so they didn't have to say, hey, he's assigned to the crews or blah, 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 blah. But he got those everyday reps and he got to run with them to test that ankle out and to see if he was ready to go. But he... the. On an NBA schedule, when you're on the road, you don't have full speed practices. You kind of have walkthroughs and you have shoot arounds on the morning of a game. So just the amount of, of, of reps and the things that he would have been able to do with the Pistons was far less than what he ended up doing with the crew. So that was the, the, the value there in letting him do that. So I think they just love the, the opportunity and the flexibility to be able to have guys work with the crews um, and, and the crews also have a little bit of NBA experience with Derek Walton being their point guard um, that he understands the, the system and what they're trying to do. So it's going to help a Jamarco Pickett. It's going to help a Luca Garza because you're running the same stuff, but you're running it with an NBA point guard who understands how to get all that stuff done. So those are just a, a couple of little things I've noticed with how they have this thing structured and having it very local right there a couple of miles from uh 
LCA and from the Pistons practice facility, you can do a lot of those things with shuttling players in and out and having them practice and work on some other things. And it's not a big logistical issue for them. Yeah, that's huge. I feel like that's going to be play a major factor, like you said, already has with Cade Cunningham. So one final thing on our Pistons before we get to uh, you know talk about Jonathan and his baseball a little bit, and then some NBA talk. Saban Lee had a huge night in the in the opening win for the Cruz. I still haven't found a place where I can watch those games yet um, out here in Kansas. I got I'm, I started searching today. I couldn't find. I found the box score, looked through it a little bit, but just I don't know if you got a chance to watch it or at least talk to anybody about uh, you know or see highlights about Saban Lee's game. And then you spoke a little bit earlier how Saban Lee, I don't want to put words in your mouth again, but maybe nipping at the heels of Kojo just a little bit to get minutes and time with the Pistons. So can you speak to the night we saw from Saban Lee with the Cruz and then just Saban Lee in general and what you may see, what you think we may see from him with the Pistons the rest of this season? Well, yeah, the, the highlights that I saw were very much him just penetrating and getting to the rim. It wasn't this three-point exhibition where he went uh, 10 of 12 from three or something like that. Uh, but he just he's faster than a lot of the guys there. He thinks a little bit differently in, in terms of, of how he's going to get to the rim. And physically, he's still an athletic freak that he's going to be able to get by you. So if, if you're not prepared for what he brings in that small package you, and you underestimate that a little bit, it's too late. He's already by you and he's at the rack finishing. Uh, and, and in some transition uh, situations, too, he was able to get out, get on the break and, and finish with dunks there, too. I think that's just his game and having that confidence to be able to do that. That in a G League environment is going to help to carry over for him. And I asked Dwayne Casey about that yesterday and said, well, hey, how do you view these things when you see a kid with 42, 8, and 8, and 4 steals? How, how, it, those are ridiculous numbers, but, <laughs> yeah. but how, how do you view that from your lens to say um, – not necessarily should he get more NBA time, but what do you what do you do with that that information? He's, and Dwayne said he was going to go back and, and look at the game, but there were things that he liked that um, he was able to get to the rim and finish at the rim. Again, we haven't seen as much of that with the Pistons, but he hit a couple of threes, and so the the variety in his game and being able to get eight assists and find other guys and set other guys up is just part of Saban's maturation process. So on one hand, you don't want to get too excited about that game, but you do want to say, hey, this is a, a data point. This is something that he's he's probably better than a G League guy, but where do you find minutes for him in what you're doing? Because they structured so much of this second unit around Corey Joseph. How, and that's just something to watch moving forward is um, in these lopsided games, we've seen Saban get in and try to get some more minutes. But is he going to crack the rotation at some point is the big question in all of this. And I I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. I I can't see where uh, he's going to pass Corey Joseph. And Corey's just going to be the forgotten man in all of this. I think you you just want to see Saban start to put together consistent games like this, either with the Pistons or with the, the Crews, and you can start building on that. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I, I love that you asked Dwayne Casey that question because well, what does that mean? You know, like that's what when I saw those stats come across from that first game too. I'm like, okay, what? I don't understand the context. Like I've never, you know, I haven't watched enough G League to know. Um, you know, is is that huge? Is that common, you know, or, or whatever, and what was the competition he was playing against. So it would be interesting to know kind of the insights of what does the staff take away from those games, and I'm sure they, you know, just go into the film and, and really dig into it. But let's shift gears here a little bit, and if you guys listen, when I had Rod on this summer, I asked him, um, we talked a little bit just about watching our children um, play sports. Uh, my oldest son is seven, and he just started, he played flag football this fall. I actually coach his first and second grade basketball team. All we do is practice, don't play games. Those would be a nightmare. Um, you're not ready for that at all. But we, we talked about his son, Jonathan, and his baseball career because Rod is, you know, if you follow Rod on Twitter, which you should, if you don't, you need to, he, you know, posts videos. And I would just wanted to check in, see how the rest of the summer went for his baseball season and kind of what he was doing this fall and into this winter. So, Rod, just how, how's Jonathan in the baseball career going so far? No, he had a really good um, fall. He played a, on a fall ball team in, in West Bloomfield, uh, Michigan. And uh, it was a varsity team, so it was a big jump for him that it wasn't just – he played on the freshman team last year in high school. And so it, it was kind of, well, how's he going to do on a varsity level? And he's primarily a pitcher, but he can play in the outfield some. He just had a, a magnificent fall where uh, he had one unearned run in 10 innings, something like 15 strikeouts, Um and he just gained a lot of confidence about himself it, it, um, in terms of his pitching. And 
it wasn't just, hey, he, these are just little uh, pimple-faced freshmen that he's striking <laughs> out. Um, these are seniors. These are, 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 are people who are looking at uh, scholarships uh, and, and playing at a high level on the varsity level. And so he had a really good experience with that and gained a lot of confidence going into uh, his sophomore year now. Uh, and so it's the fall now, so we're trying to shut things down and, and not put so much uh, taxing on his arm, but just getting ready uh, physically, getting in the weight room, working on some things and, and bulking up a little bit for next year. But it, it's just fun to just sit and watch that stuff and watch how he processes the game itself. Um, one of the games he had a walk-off hit, the, the uh, I think it was first and third, um, last inning, um, and he had the big hit, uh, just hit a little line or two. Uh, to left field and team came out and mobbed him and as a dad that's just one of the, the best the best feelings in the world because you've got the camera out and you're like oh my god what if he grounds into a double play or what if he just <laughs> doesn't come through and you can see the confidence that that brought him to that it's it's just fun at this age to be able to play a team sport and to have guys that are behind you we had a, a, a really good um, group of kids too. The seniors were really encouraging, really supportive of the younger players. Um, so yeah, it, it was a really good fall, and I'm really excited about what this year is going to bring for him too. That's awesome. I'm so excited for him to hear that. That, that you, as you were talking, I you, you brought up something that I, I'm just curious. So I want to ask a follow up with with his arm. You know, because with baseball and guys, I know it's a basketball podcast. So if if but uh, this is if you're a sports fan, you, you kind of know this stuff or have heard that. How much you have to follow that? You know, he's what 15 years old and he's throwing. You know, he's playing baseball not year round, but you know, nine months. You know, spring, summer, fall. How much you track? Like how many pitches he throws or you know the maintenance on his arm and just you know making sure you're not overworking that arm at a young age yeah it's it's something that I'm very attuned to because there are a lot of kids who are doing things like velocity training because they want to throw um, 85 or 90 um, because that's what looks good on the the scouting uh, sort of Thing that people are looking at is how fast is your fastball well his is like mid 70s so it's not super fast but he has worked on his off speed stuff so he does he's a little bit different pitcher he's more like a greg maddox than a nolan ryan or a randy johnson he's got crafty stuff that moves around in the zone um so i, I think that's what makes him different and that's the type of pitcher he wants to be is, is he doesn't have to overpower people and that's a little bit easier on his arm i sit there and i count all the pitches and the funny thing is, uh, we set up metrics and I said, hey, here's the goal for the summer. I don't want you to average more than 18 pitches per inning. So in the fall, he goes out and he averages like 12 or, or 13. He just doesn't, they, they limit him so they're only pitching two or three innings. But he just do, he doesn't throw a lot of pitches in any of his outings. He just hasn't gotten into trouble. And when he has, his, his defense has been there for him and they, they make plays and get him out of innings too. So that's what, what really contributed to it being a positive experience for him is that um, he had a good outfield behind him, good infielders who made plays. And so it just made it easier. He just had to throw strikes and he threw a ton of strikes and, and looked really good doing it. So I just want this to carry over to the sophomore season for him. And whether that's on JV or varsity, who knows, but uh, it's just fun to be on this journey with him. Absolutely. Well, please wish him the best from me. And I, I'm excited just to follow your Twitter and see how it's going and see, see what he does this spring. But I want to get into some NBA stuff for just a little bit here, 10 minutes or so, Rod, if that's okay. And yeah, um, we're going to play a little game. Um, so we're going to call this Sheed or Sham. So Sheed is like ball don't lie. That means it's the truth. So if you think with the stat I give you is the truth, then it's Sheed. If you think it's a lie, then you call it the Sham. So the New York Knicks as a team are top five in the NBA in three-pointers made and three-point percentage. Is that Sheed true or Sham false? I think that's Sham. I, I, I can't see that sort of lasting and, and being a sustainable sort of thing. That's just, it's weird. That's, it's crazy. So their top six scores right now all shoot better than 34% from wow. three. Wow. Derek Rose is shooting 45, Kimball Walker 48, and Burks 41. And, and I don't mean to go back to this, how we started the first ter- 10 minutes, but there's only one Piston currently shooting over 34% from three right now. Trey Lyles? Killian Hayes. Kill- oh, my Lord. <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's yeah. a good one. No, that's what, like, I, I just kind of started with some of these stats, and then I, I continued to build on them. And what's weird about the Knicks is they're 11th in attempts, but they're 29th in pace. So it seems like they shoot a lot of three. You know, they must be shooting a lot of threes. So, yeah, um, yeah. 
Okay, one for the team we play on Wednesday, the Houston Rockets. Sheet or Sham, is it true or false? The Houston Rockets average more than 20 points per game. They average more than 20 points per game? So, she, do you think that's a true stat? Or Sham, do you think that's a false stat? Nope, I'm missing the question then. They average more than 20 points? Yes. I'm going to say Sheed. It's close. They average 19.8. Okay. Okay. They, oh, that's close. We can that round that up. <laughs> they do lead the league by more than two per game, and they have six players average two or more turnovers per game. So, gotcha. uh, you know, one thing I feel like the Pistons do well is turn over the other team. So maybe that's something Wednesday night they can get out on the fast break and in transition. Pistons only have two guys that average more than two turnovers per game. So, um, all right, Sheet or Sham? So this one will be the same frame. Just do you think this is true or not, this stat? Former Piston Christian Wood leads all undrafted players in points per game this season with 17 and a half. That's a sham. Who do you, th- do you know who it is? Uh, undrafted player. I do not know who that is. It's Fred Van Vliet, actually. 18 okay, point- there you go. Yep. There you go. And it, I actually looked this up. Fred Van Vliet scored 54 points in a game, I believe, last year, which is the record, all-time NBA record for, for uh, points by an undrafted player. Christian, Christian Wood just wants the ball more. That's that's all we're talking about now is he wants the ball more. Hey, I, okay, so that's why I wanted this one in here is because I, I didn't watch the game, but Piston Twitter obviously has a vested interest in Christian Wood, and it sounds like he just kind of shut it down last night, Rod. Like, I, I don't know if you saw any of this, but, like, just kind of stood in the corner and played, I'm going to pass the ball and not shoot. Like, is there trouble down there? Have you seen any of this type of stuff? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing is that – when he signed that big deal, he thought he was going to be a big part of everything that they were doing. And, and sure, they had Harden at the time. Um, but to see this rebuild and to go through all of this, I'm sure it's a little bit frustrating for him. And, and that all the attention is on those young guys, as it should be. But, I mean, it it's, it's just, just hasn't worked out the way that he probably envisioned when he signed that deal with them. Yeah, and so I saw Wes just told me, the producer, that I said points and not turnovers on that Houston Rockets question. That's, so I, <laughs> that's, that's why I was confused. That's because you said they averaged 20 points. Well, I mean, I, okay. I figured it was something else, but I just wanted to make sure. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. That makes a lot no, more sense. Okay. Um, okay, last one on this. Sheet or Sham, James Harden is not is not averaging 20 points per game right now. Is that true, Sheed, or is that false, Sham? I'm going to say that's she. That feels sheetish. It is. He's only averaging 18.7 points per game right now. Be the third lowest, uh, or sorry, yeah, would be the lowest since his third year in the league when he was still, I assume, coming off the bench with the Thunder. He Here's the crazy part, Rod. He's currently shooting the best three-point percentage of his career, but averaging yeah, but, the least amount of points. Because it feels like they're just, in, in the, the games that he's played against the Pistons that I've seen, um, and a couple more that he's just a little bit more muted. He's not just out for any open shot that he sees. He's trying to be a, a little bit more selective in that. And in those Pistons triple, I believe he had triple doubles in both games with, against the Pistons, but it was like 18 points, 18, 12, and 10 or something like that. It wasn't these ridiculous 40 point or 50 point triple doubles that we've seen from him in the past. Do you like that from his game? Like, I think last year it made a lot of sense with Kyrie, but I, I mean, I, I don't know what you think. I don't think we're going to see Kyrie this year. I could be completely wrong on this. Do you like that he's playing a little bit more that way? Or would you like to see him? Or do you think he needs to? You know, we've seen the Nets play twice this year. Do you think he needs to be a little more aggressive trying to score? Or do you think it's the rule changes? Maybe that's had a little bit of effect on him. I think it's a little bit of all of that. But whatever it takes for them to win, because you can't judge them by style points right now. They're just going to need to be healthy enough when the playoffs roll around that they can be right there because again you, you can you can run this the simulations a hundred times but if they have Kyrie and they're they're um at full strength I think they end up beating the Bucks but they it's they, they just got to be healthy it's the same thing as the Lakers if they could fast forward and go to the playoffs tomorrow they do that rather than play through the rest of the season okay so I, I the next ones are going to be kind of how you answered the first one do you think this trend will continue throughout the year so Sheed would be yes it's going to continue sham is not right now former piston luke Kennard is currently the third leading scorer on, on the clippers at t- almost 12 points a game he will finish as the third leading scorer on the clippers this season is that Sheed or sham will that continue or it won't continue oh that's a good one so i'll, I'll just uh, right now, obviously, Paul George, PG-13, is the leading scorer. And then former Piston also, little theme here, is Reggie Jackson, is second. Now, Terrence Mann is right behind at 11 points and Batum at 11 points, right behind him. 
And then you have Kawhi. I don't know if we think he's going to play this year or not. Yeah, I'm going to say that's sham because the, it, it Luke just has to be consistent in that. And he was kind of up and down last year in just his play and, and his minutes and everything else. I'm going to say it's sham, but not very far off because they've got so many good offensive players on that roster that it's just surprises me that he's the, their third leading scorer, at least for right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you think Kawhi's, do you think we're going to see Kawhi? Like as I built that question, I kind of looked it up and I assumed we'd see him back this season, but I don't know. You know, obviously he's, I think he'll be very careful. It seems, you know, that's his, his, and that's all, it's up to him and his camp and I understand it, but I'm thinking we're not going to see him play this year. Uh, Rod, what do you think? I think it's going to come down to where they are sure, when sure. he's in that window of being able to come back. Um, and, and the West is going to be so tough this year that if they're in that 7-8 sort of range, they may just say, you know what, yeah, we'll we'll pack it in and we'll wait for next year. Because um, you just don't want to throw them out there and, and just there's nothing really going. But, I mean, if their uptick is a little bit higher and they're in that three, four, five range, then maybe he comes back and says, hey, this is worth another whirl. Okay, I have two more and then I let you go so we can get through these quick. Tyus Jones right now has a 31 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. I'm sure everybody saw this on Twitter. Sham, sham, sham. Whatever the question is, sham, sham. No, no, no. He will be better than the best individual season I found. This was what I was able to find over the past 15 years, which is 7 to 1. So I know 31 to 1 is sham. Will he best the best individual season I found of 7 to 1? Is that sheet or sham for you? That's still sham. Seven to one is ridiculously hard to do. So uh, the thirty-one to one is an anomaly, but seven to one is still ridiculously hard. And I think that's just going to balance out over the course of the rest of the schedule. So I want to provide some. I like I didn't. I wouldn't have known any of these answers if I wouldn't have looked them up. So I definitely like. Guess who has that record from three years ago? It's going to be uh, an under the. It'll be like Fred Van Vliet or something like that. Tyus Jones has it. Tyus Jones has led the league in turn, assist to turnover ratio the last three seasons. Really? Last year, 5.5 to 1. Two years ago, 5.2 to 1. And three years ago was 7 to 1, which is the best I was able to find over the past 15 years. Now, I do believe Fred Van Vliet was up there in the last couple of years also. Um, yeah, but but that that five point five to one seems more realistic. But when you say seven to one, that's crazy. Get back to that, it's just still like who does that? I, he just doesn't. He he must just not turn the ball over. Like I think that's what it has to. Like obviously he's getting assists, but I think the more impressive part is he just doesn't turn the ball over. Guess where Luke Kennard is, and I'm not going to make you guess, but Luke Kennard is number four in the league right now at six point three to one. That's good too. Yeah, six point three. Yeah, that that's. Uh, yeah, that's that's not sustainable either. But good for good for Luke because he, you, we we saw flashes of him being able to handle the ball and facilitate and do some things. Um, but when he's got a more complete roster around him, you can see that that number can can level off and that can be pretty good for him. Agreed, agreed. And that's I know we're nine games in, ten games in for some of these guys. So I, I'm not sitting here trying to say that this is what these guys are going to be. It just uh, these were kind of fun. So last one. The 76ers currently lead the NBA in Hollinger, John Hollinger's offensive efficiency at 114.2. Here's the sheet or sham. They will finish the year as the best offense in the NBA according to that metric. The 76ers. Hmm. I'm going to say sham on that too. I just... I, it, it's a good shot because of what Tobias does. Seth Curry has been really good for them. They've got some really efficient pieces and good pieces there, but I just don't think that's sustainable for them for the whole season. That's what I, they're like. It's it's like significantly better than number two. The the Heat are at one ten point eight in second place, but I was surprised. I mean, I know we saw Seth Curry go bananas. Um, I think Embiid's out right now with COVID protocol, so that they might take a dip just the next you know how many ever games he misses from being in that, but. Um, so if I gave you second was Miami, third the Knicks, fourth the Jazz, fifth the Warriors, which one of those teams do you think would make the jump and end up number one out of that Warriors. group? Yeah, Warriors. Yeah, they, they look really good, Rod. I don't know if you've seen them play. And then if they get Clay and Wiseman back, I feel like that's a team that can really compete in the West. What do you think? Yeah, I think they're the team to watch is, is they're trying to figure it out. And it still doesn't look like a comfortable fit with um, um, Andrew Wiggins. That, that, he, that he hasn't really fully integrated into what they're doing. But when they get, um, you can run Poole, Clay, and Curry sometimes if you want to. But, I mean, just looking at what, um, what he does, 
it just Wiggins just doesn't seem like a natural fit in their offense. And Iguodala is the same sort of way is that they fast forwarded past that Iguodala era. And Wiggins seems to be just kind of the guy that's left on the outside. But they can play so many different styles. And again, those 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 lean years for Golden State the past couple that people beat up on them a little bit. When Clay comes back and when Wiseman comes back, you can see that uh, with Kevon Looney, with um, when all those guys come together and if they gel correctly, they're just going to be a monster, monster team to try to stop offensively and defensively, that they're going to do a lot of things right there. Jordan Poole's been really good. He's had a, you know, that that was a lot of people's kind of breakout player this year and he's shot the ball extremely well. And he's, I saw like his last three games, like his numbers are just insane. So um, that's a very interesting team to watch. Um, thank you for playing that with me. We just, we, we just tried it out for this episode. So um, I, I hope you enjoyed it. I just thought it'd be a fun way to do it. And I did get most of those stats from nba.com just wanted to give credit there and i want to thank rod for joining me for this episode it was a blast i definitely want to have him back on down the road as the pistons get into the season and um just give you a chance let everybody know where they can find you and everything all the amazing stuff you do uh at det news rod beard uh, on twitter is where most of the stuff is um, that i do and then just on the detroit news website uh, you can see all the stories and stuff there Absolutely. Make sure you follow Rod. Check out all the articles and and everything he's writing and all that he does around the team as a beat writer for the Detroit News. I want to thank Wes Davenport for everything he does for the Motor City Hoops podcast, correcting my error about that Rocket stat and some of the other things, all the other things that he does before and after the episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. I hope you were enjoying it and all the conversations and discussions we're having. If you're looking for one of those instant recap and reaction episodes, I will be doing them after almost every game for the next six or seven starting with Wednesday night's highly anticipated and nationally televised game versus the Rockets which should be a great one thank you for your support and we'll talk to you soon thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast please give us a rating drop a review and subscribe for more content including video breakdowns make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter I hope you join us next episode until then be safe and be well